Good morning, everyone. (laughs) So I'm really excited about this uh, sermon series that we're in. Um, It kind of reminds me, well, it it reminds me of the fact that the Bible, even though it's a story that we may be familiar with or that we've read a hundred times, every time we read it, we can find something new. Um, How many besides me remember the days before we had streaming and binge watching? Anybody? So you remember that when you watched a show, you would have to wait until the following week to find out what was going to happen next. You couldn't just watch the whole thing. And that's kind of the feeling I get with this series. We're getting Moses' story unfolded week by week, and I'm excited about that. Um, And remember, they also used to give a recap of what happened. Like, you would hear the announcer say, last week on whatever. Um, So this morning, I have the honor of bringing the next episode in the story of Moses, And so I just wanted to start with a quick uh, quick recap. Um, And that is that uh, last week, we were introduced to baby Moses. Um, We found that he was a fine child and that his mom, um, Pharaoh, had had issued an edict to kill all the male children, the male Hebrew children in Egypt. And his mom wanted to save his life, so she kept him for as long as she could. And then in an act of desperation, she put him in a basket um, and we always have this pretty picture, uh, like, like Pastor Jen says with the church glasses on, of this little baby in this nice little basket in this river, you know, among the reeds. But it was actually the dirtiest river. It would be like putting him in the Potomac. Um, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. So um, she put him in this basket, and it just so happened, just so happened, that Pharaoh's daughter found him and raised him as her own. And his mom got to be his wet nurse. So how's that for a plot twist? So um, we're at the point now where um, we're at the next phase in Moses' life. I'm sorry, some things have disappeared from my screen. Um, But we'll start with the beginning. We'll start reading uh, chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. If you'll read with me, please. One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were. And watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking at Sway and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. So a few things here. At this stage, we see grown-up Moses. He's no longer baby Moses. He's been roughly 40 years in the palace. So he's had the best of everything that Egypt had to offer. At the time, they were the height of civilization. Um, They were advanced in uh, science and technology and engineering and math. And you might say that Moses was one of the first STEM students. (laughs) So um, he was exposed to all of that. He was raised as royalty. Um, He was skilled in administration and organization, you know, all things that would come to serve him later, but we don't want to skip ahead. Um, But... Even with that, he didn't associate himself with the Egyptians. He didn't see himself as an Egyptian. Um, he actually, the Bible says that he wouldn't, didn't want to be acknowledged as Pharaoh's son, Pharaoh's daughter's son, but he identified instead with the Hebrews. And he had such an affinity for them and a desire to save them out of the circumstances that they were in. So um, the Bible says that uh, <clears throat> he went down to where they were, and he watched them. And there's some key things about the word watched, because in English we read it and we see watched and we think what we think. Um, But in the Hebrew, it's the word ra'ah, 
which means more than just to watch, but it's like a studying. Um, it's, it, the purpose is to discover. And one commentary even said that it's to look with emotion, um, to see with compassion. So it's more than just a looking, but it's something that, that makes you want to act. So as he observed, he saw that there was, there was an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave. Um, and his, he acted on impulse, and he ended up killing the Egyptian. I'm like, really, Moses? Um, but I, it's that passion that rose up in him because he was given a drive, and that drive was to see his people in a better situation than they were in. And um, a lot of times we might see a situation that we feel a drive to do something about, not just to observe. And in this case, um, Moses acted at the height of his emotions. Um, so the drive isn't a bad thing. We're all given something that we have a drive. You know, there's something that drives each one of us. If you think right now there's something you could probably name that you're passionate about, that you drive, and that's a God-given thing. You know, it's not a bad thing. I know some people sometimes get shamed for being driven, um, but it's not a shame thing. It's, it's something that God put in us. It's inherent. The key is that the drive is meant to be in cooperation with God. So it's not something that we do as a sole proprietorship. It's always meant to be a partnership. You know, there was a bumper sticker back in the day that everybody had for a while that said, God is my co-pilot. He's not your co-pilot. He's the pilot. You're the co-pilot. <clears throat> so where we run into trouble is when we um, take that drive and run with whatever it is and hope that God will catch up. Kind of like the little kid in the store dragging their parent to the toy section, that kind of thing. Um, and I actually have a personal example of that because um, I knew that God had a call on my life from very, very young, and I ran from it hard <laughs> for a long, long long time. So finally, I'd say about three and a half years ago, I finally decided to stop running. And so I was like, okay, I was ready to move. I was like, you've wasted a lot of time. You're not getting any younger. Let's do something. And I impulsively signed up for seminary. You know, not a bad thing. Um, but the timing was a bad thing. At the time, I was a caregiver for my mom. Um, so there was the stress of that and the diagnosis that she was given. Um, I had to take a loan out to go to school, so that added debt, which was more stress. Um, I wasn't able to, because of all the stress and all the responsibilities, I wasn't even able to be here like I wanted to be. So the fellowship part, lack of fellowship, that was a thing. Um, so I ended up with consequences as a result of an impulsive decision. And that's where Moses finds himself. Um, he made an impulsive decision, and now a person is dead. Um, I find it interesting, too, that the Bible mentions that he looked this way and that and making sure that he didn't see anybody. Then he killed the Egyptian. To me, that implies that he probably knew this wasn't the best approach. Um, <laughs> but again, he was caught up in the moment. Um, because of his sympathy for the people that were suffering, because of his hatred for the injustice that he was witnessing, and because of um, his passion to help his people, one rash act changed everything for him. His heart was in the right place, but his method was the issue. He let his emotions get the best of him, and he didn't pause to consider other options. Like, as a prince, he could have had the man ordered to prison. I mean, there's a, a number of things he could have had done, but he didn't think about that. Um, 
I know that there are times when our emotions are high because we're passionate about whatever it is that drives us and we have the tendency or we have the opportunity to act rashly. Um, I would just caution you at this point that even when emotions run high, we always have options. I'm just saying. And let me pause here real quick for anyone who is in doubt. If you find that you have to look around to see if anybody is around before you do what you're about to do, don't do it. <laughs> so the first point that we get from that is that our drive that is not subject to God's authority and direction leads to mistakes that result in consequences that we don't expect. So let's read on uh, verses 13 and 15. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Whew, Moses. <clears throat> okay, so he goes out again the next day, and again he's watching, still with that compassion. Anyway, I'm sorry, I was going <laughs> to, I wonder what he did with the events of the day before, but he's still out there with that compassion, watching his, his people again, and he happens to see two Hebrews fighting one another. But when he tries to break up the fight, he gets a backlash. That had to be a gut punch for him, because these are the people that you love. These are the people that you're called to make a difference in their lives, and you say something, and instead of, I guess he thought maybe the events of the previous day would endear them to him but it had exactly the opposite effect. So it had to hurt for him to realize that although he identifies with them, they don't identify with him. It had to hurt to realize that this impulsive act, instead of endearing him, earned him the distrust of the very people that he wanted to save. You see, drive acted on apart from God's authority will result in mistakes with consequences, sometimes very public ones that we aren't prepared for. Moses acted out of anger, and it cost him. Too bad Moses didn't have the benefit of the New Testament warning in James 1, where it says that human anger does not produce the righteousness of God. Have you ever found yourself facing unexpected consequences because of a mistake you made? The good news is that we don't have to stay stuck in our mistakes. God is willing and more than able to redeem them and make them part of our testimony. So going back to my story about impulsively uh, signing up for seminary, um, on the back end of that, I was able to sign up for Financial Peace University, and now I have a plan to work my way through that student loan and, and my debts. Um, I was able to sign up for the cross-training program, so I'm still taking ministry courses, but it's affordable, and it's so good with my schedule. Um, we were able to place my mom in an assisted living facility, so I know that she's cared for 24-7, that's a load off of my mind. Um, I'm able to be part of the bridge group um, that meets on Wednesdays. So the fellowship is back, yay. <laughs> um, so all of those things that were a negative consequence, God provided an opportunity and I was able to see them turned around in my life. <clears throat> and 
I'm here to say he'll do the same for you, whatever your situation is, whatever your mistake is. But poor Moses didn't know that yet. What he did know is that uh, Pharaoh wanted him dead. And so he fled to Midian, and he sat by a well. I'll say here that um, wells at that time symbolized a place of respite, a place of refreshing. They were like a life-giving spot where Moses could catch his breath and reflect and figure out where to go from there. At that time, there were no individual, um, nobody had individual running water in their homes. So the well was also a community spot where everyone came together for the water that they needed to live. But Moses at this time was there alone. For us, the presence of God is our well, the place we can go where we mess up and get refreshed and redirected. And the community aspect of it is like we're here in corporate worship. So um, the second point is that the consequences of our mistakes put us in a good position to turn back to God. As Pastor Jen says, at any given moment, we're only one step away from being in the center of God's will. So that step would be going to the well. Um, <clears throat> so I'm going to read the next section because it's kind of lengthy. <clears throat> it says, now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered the flock. When the girls returned to Ruel, their father, or Jethro, their father, he said, why have you returned so early? They answered, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he, Reuel asked. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. So let's just kind of picture Moses in this moment. He had run for his life. Um, from the journey from Egypt to Midian was a couple hundred miles. He had run from his life through desert, looking over his shoulder, scared, tired, hot, and hungry. He just wanted to rest. And then that's the moment that God presents him with another opportunity. I'm sure he was thinking, can a brother get a minute, God? <laughs> Have you ever had a moment like that where you were exhausted from running from your own mistake? and you needed to take a breather, and here comes God with an assignment? <laughs> so that's where Moses was. But notice, even though that's where he was, he was still watching. He was still driven to rescue those in need because it was inherent in him. It was a God-given drive, and that didn't change because of what happened in Egypt. He's still quick to act against injustice. He sees the shepherds trying to drive off uh, Jethro's daughters, and he stands up for them. But experience has taught, has taught him not to react the way he did before. So it's like God gave him a do-over, and he had the opportunity to show that he learned from his mistakes. It puts me in mind of uh, the New Testament with Peter, where he denied Christ three times, and then God gave him a do-over when Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? It was the restoration, and I believe that's what God was doing in that moment, and that's what he does for us. We end up in a place where we've made a mistake and we've tried to run from it. We've tried to, to do uh, what, the best that we could do. And he presents us with another opportunity to show us that, we, that he's still with us, that he's still, uh, what he put in us is still valid. So that's the, what we learn from this is that God provides opportunities for restoration from our mistakes. 
So if you'll read this last part with me. So Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. So again, Moses acts on what drives him, rescuing the oppressed. But this time, instead of rejection like he got from the two Hebrews, his actions result in him being welcomed in a strange land and invited to have a meal and shelter. Have you ever found community in a strange place or a place where you didn't think you would? And do you remember what that felt like? Imagine how Moses felt being in a strange land, not knowing if he was ever going to see his Hebrew family again and being taken in by Jethro and his family. Not just taken in, but he ends up getting a wife out of the deal and a son. So God blesses him with family, even when he's in a foreign land and in an uncertain situation. So if we trace his journey so far, he's gone from slave to prince to fugitive to foreigner. I'm pretty sure this isn't how Moses thought his life would unfold. Sometimes you and I find ourselves very far away from where we thought we would be. I can't count the number of conversations I've had with friends about how by this age I thought I would be here, by that time I thought I would have this. And a lot of times because of choices that we've made and things that we've done, we find ourselves in different places. So I ask you, where are you this morning? Are you in the palace, watching the plight of those that you're driven to help, chomping at the bit, ready to go and do something? Maybe you're at the well. After a huge mistake, you're at the well trying to catch your breath, wondering what to do next. And that's where God will provide you with another opportunity. Or maybe you're in a foreign land, far away from where you ever thought you would be, and you're not sure what comes next. There's welcome there for you, and there's blessing there for you. So wherever you find yourself this morning, I encourage you to take heart. It's not too late to surrender your drive to God. When you do, you can be assured that he'll do things with your life beyond what you ever imagined. Just ask Moses. (laughs) Where's Joelle? What's the circumstance that took you to the well, running hard for your life? Because that's exactly where God wants to meet you with that second chance, with that third chance, with that, I don't know about y'all, with that eighth or ninth or tenth chance maybe, but the opportunities are there. Would you stand and pray with me? Father God, we thank you that you do not leave us or forsake us. You don't leave us or forsake us when we are unjustly enslaved, when we are abused or oppressed. You are there making a path to freedom for us. 
But in your grace and your love, you also don't forsake us when we put our own selves in the midst of a consequence that is oppressive, where we are fighting for our very lives. Thank you for this incredible reminder that even in those moments, we are never alone. We are never outside of your presence. For some of us, we are still at the well, still waiting for the next opportunity. And I ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to us in the heat and the exhaustion and the very huge unsureness of what might be next. Some of us are in a palace moment, or some of us have walked through it and made a better choice the next time around. And you're in the middle of granting blessing and restoration. See, the family Moses didn't have in Egypt, you brought forth in Midian. In the, in the place Moses never expected to be with the people he didn't expect to be with, you brought the blessing of wife and son. Thank you, God, that you show up where we least expect you with blessings we never thought we would achieve. God, as we worship you in this time, as we surrender our hearts to you, I ask that you would let the message take root in our hearts because every one of us needs to know that you take our consequences and you provide opportunities and our consequences become the foundation for our freedom. We love you, God, and we praise you and we worship you. Jesus, it's in your name that the whole church together said amen and amen.